Please take your Bible and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah, the ninth chapter. We are in a series of messages where we're looking at the Old Testament and looking at the passages, the prophecies, the promise of the coming Messiah. Last week we were in the prophet Isaiah. This week we're staying right here. And last week we looked at the coming Messiah as Emmanuel, God with us. Today we see Jesus Christ, the coming Savior, the one who is to come. Who is he to be? What is he to be like? Isaiah gives us very keen details in who the coming Savior is and what he is to be like. Please stand in the honor of reading God's word. Isaiah chapter 9, we'll begin reading in verse number 6. The Bible says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Father, we thank you for this word. Now, Lord, as we talk about the Savior that was to come that Isaiah prophesied about, the Savior who did come in the person of Jesus Christ. Father, may you prepare our hearts to hear a word from you. We ask this in Christ's name and all of God's people said, please be seated. The Bible says here, he gives us, Isaiah gives us a very clear detail. He defines for us who the coming Savior is. What is he to be like? What is he to do? Here in verse 6, he says he is going to be wonderful. That means he amazes us. So the first thing that we see today is that Jesus Christ amazes us. He is wonderful. This is the mystery that is described and defined in the Bible as the miracle of Jesus Christ. It's a mystery that no one can understand. Science cannot understand it. Theologians cannot comprehend it. We, yet the Bible very clearly talks to us and teaches us and tells us the miracle of the virgin birth. We looked at it last week and we said that it is impossible for us to wrap our minds around this, the, the, the virgin birth, the miracle of the virgin birth. But we also said that even though we may not fully be able to understand it, we cannot deny it because the virgin birth is an integral part of the Christmas story. If you remove the virgin birth from the Christian faith, our faith crumbles. We must maintain, and the, the, the virgin birth is essential for our faith. It's essential for what Christ did. But we don't understand it. We said that Paul, the great theologian, the great mind, the, the great scholar, the great debater, Paul even said that great is the mystery of godliness, that God was manifested in the flesh, that he came born of a virgin. Who can comprehend it? You see, he's the son of God. And by his miraculous conception and incredible and incomparable birth, the Lord Jesus Christ, a child was born. The love of God was placed on display. Oh, the wonder, oh, the love of our God. It's not ordinary. God is not ordinary. God is extraordinary. And this Christmas season, this is the message that I want you to get, that, that God is not the God of the ordinary. God is the God of the extraordinary. God takes that which is ordinary, he takes that which is mundane, and he makes it wonderful. He, he makes it amazing. This is the point of why Jesus came when his disciple Thomas, remember doubting Thomas, 
Thomas, one of the 12. He said, I will not believe that Jesus rose again until I actually touch the scars that are in his hands, until I touch the wound that was on his side. I will not believe. I will not believe that Jesus rose because I saw the man die. Thomas, when Jesus showed up to him, he, he, he fell upon his face looking at the nail prints on his hands and he cried out, my Lord and my God. Why? Because Jesus is simply wonderful. Jesus is simply amazing. He takes those things that are ordinary and he makes them extraordinary. He took ordinary fishermen fishermen, men who were going to be on the Sea of Galilee around the city of Tiberias their whole life. This is what their dads did. This is what their dad's dad did. And this is what they were called to do. This is what their sons were going to do. This is what their sons' sons were going to do. They were fishermen. He took these ordinary fishermen. He showed up one day and he called out to these fishermen and he said, if you follow me, I will make you fishers of men. I will take that which is ordinary that you're doing and I'll make it extraordinary. Disciples like Peter, who was a fractured rock, became the solid rock built upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Their lives transformed from what was usual to something that was unusual. What they should have been doing was transformed into what only God could do through them. He took Mary Magdalene. He took this woman who was a harlot. She was a prostitute. She sold her body. And in the Gospel of John, we find an account where where Mary may not be named, but scholars believe that this is the point where Jesus meets Mary Magdalene. The Pharisees caught her in a relationship. They've thrown her on the ground, and the Pharisees have picked up rocks to stone this woman who was caught in the sin of prostitution. Jesus is walking by and he looks at these Pharisees. He sees what's going on. He, he hears the commotion. He gets in front of this ordinary woman. And he looks up to these Pharisees. He said, which one of you is without sin? The one who has no sin, he can be the one who casts the first stone. And one by one, those Pharisees dropped those rocks and they walked away. Because they knew that they had sinned as well. He looked down at Mary and he said, where are your accusers? And she said, there are none. You see, this woman had no hope. She was a prostitute. She was a harlot. She sold her body. She had no hope. She had no future. She had no life. And that day, this woman found the meaning of forgiveness. This woman who was trying to buy love found the epitome of love in Jesus Christ. She was living an ordinary life and she found someone who was amazing, someone who was wonderful. And friends, you may be looking at your own life saying, what good have I done? There's no way that God could ever love me. How wrong you are. 800 years before the birth of Christ, Isaiah was given the word from the Lord that that Jesus would come, the Messiah would come, and he would be wonderful. He would amaze us. He would knock our socks off. And that's what Jesus did. And that's what Jesus does. He's not a dead Savior. He's a living Savior. And because of that, he still amazes us today. He still takes those that are ordinary and he makes them extraordinary. 
He takes those that are destined for hell and he says, no, no, no. And he points us to heaven. He's simply amazing. Number two, he advises us. He's wonderful, but he's also counselor. Not only does he amaze us, but he also advises us. He's our guide. You see, we need his help. We can't do this thing alone, can we? We have to have a counselor. We have to have one who comes alongside and and advises us and speaks into our life. May May I ask you a question? May I ask you a question? Who do you hope in? Where does your hope lie? To whom do you turn when you have a problem? When there's perplexities of life and hardships of life, where do you go? Where does your attention go? Where does your mind go? To whom or to what do you turn? Jesus one day looked at his disciples. All of his followers, thousands of people that began to follow Jesus began to leave in droves. They began to realize that following Jesus cost them too much, too much more than what they were willing to give. So they began to leave. And it whittled down to what he started with, the twelve. And he looked at those 12 disciples in the eyes and he said, are you two going to leave me? Peter, bless his heart, said, well, Lord, to whom were we go? where will we go? For Jesus, you are the one who has the words of eternal life. How many times have we tried to help people as, as human beings only to hear them say, you just don't understand my problem? Now, there's some truth into that. You, you may try to help someone, and, but the reality is you don't know what they've walked through until you've walked a mile in their shoes. There, you may have similar experiences, but you don't fully understand. You don't fully get it. But you see, friend, when we run into his presence, we find one who does understand. The Bible says he is our priest. He is not our priest, but not only our priest, but he is our high priest who touches our infirmities, who, who, who speaks into our humanity. He was tempted at every point unknown, that is known unto man, yet he had no sin. You see, he understands. He gets it. He's walked a mile in your shoes. He's walked in the future. He knows what the future holds. He, he experienced, he knows, he gets it. And he also loves you. You matter to him. You're not alone on some island. He is with you. And oh, how we need his wisdom. Oh, how we need his advice. How we need him to be our counselor. When you're anxious, when you're fretful, find in him peace that passes all understanding. When you're angry and when you're upset, find in him the joy and the happiness of salvation. When you're weak and when you're sickly, when your health is failing, find in him your strength and your solace. When your doubts arise and you seem dismayed, find in Jesus your courage and confidence. When you fail in your job, when you fail in your home, when you fail in your marriage, when you fail at school, when you fail, we have a Savior that you can run to who specializes in taking broken lives and mending them back together. He takes our mistakes, he takes our problems, he takes our brokenness, he takes our sin, and he revolutionizes it 
When you're lonely, go to him. He'll give you the strength to carry on. When you're discouraged, when you're downtrodden, when you're depressed, find in Jesus the all-sufficient, wonderful counselor. Find in him your hope. Don't lose hope. Christmas is all about hope. Seeing things and, and believing in things and trusting in things that we cannot see. Hope is the assurance of things. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. We have faith and we have hope. Find in him today your hope. He's sufficient for all you need. You see, God is with me. As we saw last week, he is our Emmanuel, God with us. He's not way out there somewhere, but because of Bethlehem and because of Calvary, he is forever with us. He is our great, wonderful counselor. A counselor who points you in the way you should go. Jesus was teaching his disciples one time. Thomas, the same one who doubted. In John chapter 14, Jesus is teaching yet again about his death and about his resurrection. He, sees, he, he taught these disciples multiple times. I don't know why Jesus got 12 men. If he got 12 women, they'd have got it the first time, right, ladies? But, but we men, we are hard-headed. That was a great time, ladies, for you to say Amen. But he had 12 men who, who, I mean, you say it and say it and say it, and we just don't get it. He said it over and over and over again. I, I, I'm going away. I, I've got to die, but I'm going to come back. And, and, and he was teaching it again in John 14. He said, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will return again, receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Where I'm going, you know, and the way, you know. Thomas speaks up. He says, well, well, Jesus, how in the world do we know where you're going? How, how in the world do we know what you're talking about? How do we get to that mansion in the sky that you're talking about? We don't know. And Jesus said, Thomas, I've told you over and over and over and over again. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You see, he is our great counsel. And if, if you will listen to him, he gives great advice. He gives great counsel. The best counsel you can receive is right here in John 14. The great counsel, the greatest counsel you'll ever hear in life is that if you are lost, if you are searching for hope, if you are searching for acceptance, if you are searching for love, Jesus came and he was our wonderful counselor. He gave us the answer. He gave us the rule book. He gave us the game plan. And he said, I am the way, the truth, the life. You don't have to go your way. You don't have to believe in any truth. You, if you want life, follow me and I'll give you life. He's our counselor. He advises us. He points us in the way. And our great, wonderful counselor will never, ever, ever, ever lead you astray. He amazes us. He advises us. Number three, he protects us. You'll be called wonderful, counselor, mighty God. He protects us. The word mighty God, the two words there in Hebrew, it literally means the one who is powerful, the one who is victorious in battle, a hero, a conqueror. Friend, Jesus is more than just a man. He is a God-man. He is the Messiah. 
He claimed to be God. There's a lot of people today who say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. I don't know where they got that because when you read the Bible, it's very clear that Jesus said over and over and over and over again, I am God. He said, I and my Father are one. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen my Father. And because he is the mighty God, he demands and he desires our adoration, our exaltation, and our worship. He provided the power through his resurrection. Over and over and over again, we see he is the mighty God. It's so unfortunate, the the pictures of Jesus that, that we show our kids. We've got it all wrong. First of all, Jesus was not a Caucasian male with with blue eyes and brown hair. And I don't think Jesus walked around with a sheep around his neck either. When I think about Jesus, that's the picture that that comes in my mind. And and we've, we've so emasculated Jesus, haven't we? Jesus wasn't a Caucasian male. He was a Jew. Jesus was a... We guys, we always look for role models, don't we? And oftentimes we turn to sports or we, we turn to, 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 to these guys that are successful and we say, that's my role model. Can I tell you that the best role model, men, the best role model you can have is none other than Jesus Christ himself. He is the man among men. He is the man among men. The kind of man who could fast for 40 days and nights and he never whined about it out in the desert, that's Jesus. Jesus is the man who walked to the temple grounds and these big Roman soldiers with their big swords and their big shields were standing there and he saw those men who were making a mockery of the things of God and they were selling these doves at outrageous prices and they were making a mockery of God and Jesus walked up there and he took a couple of straps of leather and he made a whip and he didn't care who saw him or who said anything. He didn't care about those Roman soldiers there. He got that whip and he drove those money changers out of God's house. That's a man right there. In the last days of his life, he saw the need. And there pouring out his life blood in the garden of Gethsemane, so burdened for the world that his capillaries began to pop and blood began to pour out of his sweat. And yet, to go to the cross, to pour out his life, he hung on that cross, and I promise you, Friend, I promise you that those Roman nails did not hold Jesus to that cross. Jesus could have called thousands upon ten thousands upon millions of angels to come and carry him home. Those nails didn't hold him to that cross. Love held him to that cross. Love nailed Jesus to the cross and love kept Christ on the cross because he is mighty God. He's all we need. His power is available. His power is right here, is available. But the question is, how do we tap into that power? You realize that, that in this room, there's a lot of power in this room. In your house, there's a lot of power in your, in your house, in your physical house. In the walls of your home, there's a lot of power going through those walls. Sheetrock and paint covers it up, but there's a lot of power in your house. And a lot of Christians live their life like a house that is full of power, but yet it is untapped. 
we live our life with all of this power right around us. However, we never plug in to the source. We, we live with all of this power and all of these miracles and all of these promises of God right here around us. But yet, for whatever reason, we decide to sit in the middle of the floor and have a pity party and say, God, where are you? And God says, tap into the source. The power is right there. Just plug in. All we have, but how do we? How do we plug into it? How do we tap into the source? It's very easy in scripture. It's very clear. Faith releases the power of God in our lives. How do you tap into the source? How do you plug in the appliance of your life into the the source, the power, the lifeblood, the electricity? It's through faith. Jesus said it. He said, all you have to do is have faith. He said to the woman who, was, who had the, the issue of blood, he said, your faith has made you whole. He said to the man, the, the cripple that the, the, the friends brought to him and lowered him through the roof, he said, your faith has made you whole. Jesus said that if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to that mountain, be moved and cast into the sea and it'll happen. It's faith. But life seems to get in the way and life seems to strip away our faith. Christian, a, a Christian without faith a Christian without faith is an, infect, in, an ineffective believer. Do you know how? Do you know him as mighty God? Do you believe and trust him for the impossible? Do you trust him by faith that he's going to move? What better time than the Christmas season to trust God for the impossible? What better time than this season when God clearly shows and places on display that he is the God over the impossible? What is it that you're trusting him for? Believe it this Christmas. Plug into the source. Have faith that God is going to move. Have faith that God is going to take care. Have faith that God is going to bring healing. Have faith that God is going to bring reconciliation. Have faith that God can move. Faith. You say, preacher, what are you trusting God for? A few weeks ago, I told you, I'm trusting that at some point in the future, when you walk out these doors right here, you're going to walk into a children's building. And I shared with you that the obstacle, the hurdle, is $5 million. So I say, well, that's a big obstacle. That's a pretty big hurdle. In fact, it's the largest hurdle our church, financially speaking, has ever come across. But you know what? God's going to do it. I believe that God's going to do it. Money's no obstacle with God. God, if, if God can place a baby in the womb of a virgin and a virgin can give birth, don't you think that God can take care of this? If God is the God of the impossible and, and everyone says that's impo- it's impossible for a virgin to give birth, don't you think that God can speak into that area of your life where men are saying it's impossible? Where people say the time has already passed, it's not possible, no way that God can do that, no way you can get that, no way that's going to happen. Trust God by faith. He protects us. He is our strength. He is Mighty God, then the scripture says he is the everlasting father. That tells us that he cares for us. The word here, father, literally means author or originator. He's the original one. 
He's the everlasting father, the father of eternal life, the father of eternal love. Jesus is the creator of God. He is the one, same with God. In the scripture, there's four Christological passages in the New Testament that point to Jesus being creator. John chapter one tells us that in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. Over in Philippians chapter two, Jesus, or Paul says of Jesus, he says he humbled himself. He, he, he humbled himself, he emptied himself and he left the glories and luxuries of heaven and he came here and he put on flesh. Colossians chapter one, Paul again writes to the church in Colossae. He says in Colossians chapter one, the third main Christological passage that, that mentions and talks about Jesus being the creator. John one, Philippians two, Colossians one. He says, I, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. All things were created by him and for him and through him. And then Hebrews one, the writer of Hebrews says that to what angel did he say, this is my son? but he used Jesus and and he sent Christ into this earth, the creator. John 1, Philippians 2, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1, all of them speak to to Christ being uh, the original one, the, the, the author, the originator of our faith. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. He is the author. He is the sustainer of life, the source of all life. Friend, Jesus was not just born, he was sent. You realize that, right? That's important to know. That before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he already existed. Jesus is eternal. Jesus, and, and this is the mystery of the faith, that God is triune. He's not three gods. He's one God manifested in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus was not created like the angels were created, Hebrews 1. Jesus is eternal. So when we talk about Jesus being born, we must understand that when Jesus was born, that means that Jesus was sent. He left his luxuries of heaven, Philippians 2, and he came here on this earth. Eternity past, eternity present, eternity future invaded history. Think about it. Eternity, for the first time, eternity stepped down into the temporal He left eternity so that, and he came here to be among us so that we could have eternal life. He came to earth so that we could go to heaven. He took on our life so that we could take on his life. He righted the wrongs. He is the everlasting father. God has put within every one of us this idea of eternity. Mankind is the only one among the creation of God who has this understanding of a life beyond. In our house, we have a lot of mouths to feed. When we moved to Texas, I made one of the biggest mistakes I ever made in my life. I bought my wife a cat. And this cat has been my thorn in the flesh for 12 years. Someone told me, you know those things live to be 20 years old or more. Yeah. This cat, I'm allergic to cats, and this cat loves to sleep on my pillow. My resentment towards the cat is mutual. She resents me as well. 
we move to Florida and we get a dog. Another mouth to feed. I love the dog. The dog is, is a good dog, but another mouth to feed. And then, because we're in Florida, we have these things called frogs. And Sarah, or Abby was out one day and she found these tadpoles. And she said with those beautiful little blue eyes of, of, that, that her mama gave her, she's got these beautiful blue eyes like her mom. And she said, Daddy, can I keep these tadpoles? And she was batting those eyes. And I, did, I said, no. No way. And Sarah, I was saying, uh-uh. And Sarah was saying, uh-huh. And you know who won? Now we have tadpoles. So we sent out a Facebook message. Does anyone have an aquarium? And I'm not going to mention the name, but one of you said we have an aquarium that you can borrow. So we got an aquarium, and we found out doing research that you can't just put tadpoles in tap water. It'll kill them. So we had to go to the animal store, the pet store, and buy this $10 stuff that you pour in tap water to, to take away the chlorine. So I'm sitting here thinking, okay, we, we got these tadpoles that can survive in this murky water. And so now we've already invested this, and now we have to buy food. And you can't just have food and water. You know, the tadpoles, daddy, the tadpoles have to have rocks Tadpoles have to have this, 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 this scenery like they're fish. And so now we have, now this, 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 these little tadpoles have transformed and we've spent all this money on these, these tadpoles. And these tadpoles, they, they're, they're growing into little frogs and they, they become frogs. And one day we walk out and they're, they're gone. They're gone. <laughs> they literally just left. I said, you stupid frogs. How dumb do you have to be? You, you had it perfect. You had an owner that fed you. That, I can't say that I cared enough, but I didn't want them to die. That, that went to, to PetSmart and bought this $10 thing that poured into your water so you wouldn't die? I gave you spinach out of my garden. And you hopped out? You see, animals don't have this concept of how good they got it. Animals, now don't send me emails. I'm not going to go on the theological question of do they go to heaven or not. I'm not going there. By the way, our cat's name is Lucy. That's short for Lucifer. All dogs go to heaven, all cats go to hell. But anyway, don't send me emails. Please don't send me emails. It's Christmas. I'm joking. I'm joking. But, but, but here's, if you do want a cat, we are looking for a, a house for the cat. So uh, we do treat the cat nicely. So anyway, but I, I want us to think about this for just a moment. Here's the point of, of, of what I'm saying. These animals have no concept of the beyond. They have no concept. Those frogs that left, they had no concept of the hand that was feeding them. And you say, well, my dog understands. My, my dog gets it. But can I be blunt with you for just a moment? Your dog, your dog loves, you know why your dog loves you? Because you feed the dog. 
That dog is thinking, where am I going to get food? Where am I going to get food? Where am I going to get food? That dog is not sitting there saying, Jesus died for my sins. Oh, I feel convicted because I ate the newspaper. I ate a hole in the, in the couch. The dog doesn't care. Why? Why? Why is that? Have you ever thought about it? Why, why is that? Because God did not create animals to have a conscience. You see, science tells us that, that, that human beings are simply just an evolved animal. That's wrong. You know how I know that's wrong? Because God placed within each one of us something he never placed in any animal, the conscience. The, right, the, 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 the knowledge of right and wrong. You see, we were made in the image of God. Solomon, the wise man of the Old Testament, said he has set, God has set eternity in our hearts. Friend, God made us unique. He made us special. When he created man, he said it was good. And then when he created woman, he said, this is very good. That's what he said. Go back and read it. He said, this is my greatest creation. He waited to the last and he created us in his image. And God said, this is very good. I made these humans to have a relationship with me. We were made for him. He is the lock, we are the key. We were made to have a relationship with God. We were made for eternity. That's why everyone cries out. There's something more to life. There's something more to life. There's something beyond. You see, he is the everlasting father. He cares for us. Therefore, when we come to the final enemy that you'll ever fight, the final enemy of death, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be in fear. Why? Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Because we have the victory. We know Christ Because of his resurrection, the everlasting father has given us life now and life forever with him. One final word. He amazes us. He advises us. He protects us. He cares for us. And fifthly, he heals us. Scripture says he is our prince of peace. In Hebrew, it's Tsar Shalom. Tsar Shalom. The world has longed for peace ever since sin entered into it. Last week, we remembered Pearl Harbor Day. The United States entered into the Great War. Men like Jim Curdo, who's a member of our church, men like my grandfather, who's already gone on to be with the Lord, fought in that war to bring peace. Recently, we've seen in our world terrorism, and our country's been thrown into great turmoil. We hear politicians promising peace here and peace there. We hear that peace is going to come to the earth if, if we can correct this global warming thing. We, we hear peace after this, and this is how you can have peace. But I'm here to tell you that the only peace that this world will ever experience, the only peace that you will ever experience on this earth is when you receive the Prince of Peace as your Lord and Savior, period. It says he's our Prince of Peace, Sar Shalom. That word means to bind up that which is broken and fragmented. That's what it means. Sar Shalom, to to bind up that which is broken and fragmented. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus, uh, Luke says that Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who've been oppressed. And that's what Christ did. He brought healing to the hurts of people. He gave wholeness to the, the brokenness of life. 
Just as eternity is in our hearts, the desire for peace is in our hearts. The Hebrew word for peace, shalom, it literally means well-being. Ask the average person what they want in life. They're going to say, I want a healthy life. I want to be happy. And I want to be healthy. That's shalom. That's the idea, the concept of shalom. I want to be happy. I want to be healthy. This is what the, the Jews long for in the days of Jesus. That's what the Jews, if you ask them today, that's what the Jews long for today. They want peace. They want a happy life and a happy home. The peace of God, that well-being, though, is the sense of that which is right. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Friend, realize this. Peace is not the absence of war. We hear people say, well, let's, let's end all wars and we'll finally have world peace. Wrong. Peace is not the absence of war. You know what peace is? Peace is the healing touch of God who binds up the broken pieces and provides his presence to meet life's demands. To put it another way, peace is God's resources to meet the demands of life. That's peace. Peace is not the absence of war. You can take war out of the equation and people still are not going to have peace. There's still going to be problems. You throw a person into a situation, I, I don't understand, I really do not understand how a person can walk through this life and not be a follower of Jesus Christ. I, I cannot comprehend it. I, I, I cannot understand how a person can look at what's going on in this world and, and, not, and, and not have a relationship with Jesus because there must be a war that is raging on the inside of their heart. While all the wars may be ended out here, there's going to be a war that's always going to rage in the heart of man. And the only way, the only way to have that war fixed is to receive the Prince of Peace in your life. No wonder the angel said, I bring you good news, great tidings of great joy, for unto you born this day in the city of David is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Good tidings of great joy. His peace can reign in your heart if you will let him if you'll allow him. So our shalom, we said, was to, to, to bind up the broken and the fragmented. What's broken in your life? What's fragmented in your life? Is it your marriage? Is it your relationships? Your life? School? Family? Is it your job? Is it kids? Is it your parents? Here's the thing. I'm not here preaching a, a name it, claim it faith. That's not what the scripture teaches. But I am saying that when you receive the Prince of Peace in your life, he will be there and, and he will reign in your life despite the fact that the problems may still be there. You know, Paul prayed that God would take the thorn of the flesh away from him. And God never did that, Right? I prayed for 12 years that God would take that cat away, and he hasn't yet. I can tell you more stories. I mean, literally, literally, this, this, this cat is the spawn of Satan. But I have prayed, God, take this away. And he said, no, no. Paul prayed, God, take this thorn away from me. Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord, allow this cup to pass from me if it is your will. You know what? These men, Jesus, Paul, the men and the women of the Bible, they prayed, they were human. 
right? They were human. You, 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 put, you put people into a situation where, where, where they, they, they feel the weight of the world upon their shoulders. They feel the weight of the world upon, their, upon themselves, and they're going to cry out, take this away. We're, we're not talking about some sadistic God here who takes pleasure in hurting people. No. What would be sadistic? Here's what would be sadistic. That God is in heaven saying, I'm putting you in the middle of your problem and I'm going to leave you right there and let you deal with it yourself. That's sadistic. What's beautiful? What's amazing? What's wonderful? Is that when we go through problems and we may pray, God, take my problems away. Job prayed, God, why? God, bring this back. God, why this? Why me? Men and women prayed. And in and, and, and the Bible, they prayed and they said, God, why? Paul prayed, take this sword. And Jesus, God said, no, no. I'm not taking you out of your situation, but I'm going to give you peace I want you to know that you're not going to walk through that situation alone. I'm going to be with you. I am your Sar Shalom. I am your peace. I am your peace. I bring healing to you. What is broken in your life? What is broken? Trust God, hope faith. Trust God. Plug into the source. Have faith, trusting God that God is bigger than your circumstances. Even though he may choose to leave you in that situation, he may choose not to take that thorn away from the flesh. He may choose to leave you there. Realize that God is not leaving you in that situation alone. When you trust him, the Prince of Peace. He will be with you no matter where 